Good morning. You can turn in your Bibles to Philippians. If you remember, Andrew and I have been preaching through Philippians when we have opportunity. Philippians chapter 3, which is actually where most of the words of that last song came from. But that's not what I'm preaching on today. (laughs) But I will reference it. So Philippians chapter 3. And we'll be looking from verse 12 in a moment. So in my my previous life, when I lived in the States, I trained as a teacher. And so I taught uh, maths and science for about 12 years in the States, uh, two, two different schools in two different states. And in my first school that I was in, in North Florida, uh, for about eight or nine years in my 20s, I coached track and field. Um, so, I mean, you know, th- these were not star athletes. These were 11 to 14 year olds and, <laughs> you know, that they were trying to figure out what size their feet were and, and, and all of that. Um, so track and field, I guess athletics, you, you'd call that here. And so most of my 20s, I did that. And, you know, I, I wasn't like the greatest coach probably in the world, but there were a few pointers that I would have given my, my athletes. One of them is when you run, you, you use your arms. You know, it seems like you just use your legs when you run, but your arms are very important when you're running a race. You need to be using your arms. If it's a, if it's a distance race, you, you probably need to pace yourself. You can't just take off when you're running a mile at a full sprint. It's just, you're not gonna last. So pacing yourself is, is one of the things that I would have told my athletes. One of the things that really kind of bothered me is when any of my runners would look behind them. And so you're running and you're looking behind them. Because if you're looking behind you, you don't know where you're going. <laughs> and it slows you down. And so I said, so don't look behind you. Keep focused on the finish line. I also really liked them when they listened <laughs> to their coaches. Listening to your coach tends to make you a better athlete. Uh, there was this one young woman named Katrina, and she's well into her 30s now, but she would have, she would have been like a mid-distance runner, and she, she listened to me, and I loved that about her. She hated me for it. <laughs> she would get so angry with me at the end of the race because I'd coach her in the middle of the race and I'd say, you need to pass this person, and she would. And because she listened, she was a really good runner. But she, she was so angry at me in the end because I think it hurt. <laughs> um, so I, I did this for my athletes because I wanted them to run the race well. And that's what, what a coach would want of their runners. They would want them to run the race well. Well, in this section of Philippians, Paul has just finished writing to us through the Philippians here that all is lost. For the sake of knowing Jesus. That's what we just sang. All I once held dear. I count as loss. And he wants them to live this life well. And what that means in Paul's mind is knowing Jesus. How do I run this Christian life so that it helps me to know Jesus more? How do we run this race? So I'm going to read from verse 12 of chapter 3. 
Actually, I'll start up at verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Now this this is the Word of God. So when, when watching a race, maybe you've, you've, I'm sure you've watched the race, the Olympics were just on. When you're watching a race, I don't know if it irks you. It irks me when you have arrogant athletes. Arrogant athletes who act like they've won before they've even started. Or act like, of course I'm going to win because uh, maybe, maybe I'll hold the world record. Or maybe I won the last race. That really, this really bothers me. It, it makes you not to want to, you know, kind of cheer for that one. You want to cheer for the underdog in that case, uh, because, uh, you know, we don't tend to gravitate towards cocky athletes. It's just bothersome. It's very bothersome. Well, Paul's point here, I'm going to give you three points. And the, really the question we're asking is, how do we pursue knowing Jesus more? How do we pursue, pursue knowing Jesus more? And firstly, we have to remember that we have not arrived yet. We have not yet arrived. And so the Christian life is a journey. It, it, is, it is not really a destination. Paul doesn't say that one thing he does is finish. He says, one thing I do is press on. He is pressing on with his desire to know Jesus. If you're anything like me, I often run this race in circles. So I might learn something, uh, I might grow in a certain way, I might have victory over certain sin, and so I move in this direction, but then I veer off and I repeat that same error again, (laughs) and then I start back forward again. And I'm running in circles over and over and over again. But I want to keep pressing on. And sometimes though it feels like I'm taking one step forward and two steps back, Because this is a slow race. It's a plod. It is not a sprint. Um, And a dear friend um, here in in Ireland, I've heard her say, 
that about the Christian life, that there are no shortcuts. Because so often we want that shortcut, don't we? You want to be able to say, like, I just want victory here and victory here and victory there. And I want to be able to do this for Jesus and that and that and the other. And that's great. But usually all of our growth takes time. There's no secret path towards faster growth. We continually grow as we just keep putting one foot forward. I repent and I believe. And I repent and I believe. I see my sin. I turn to Jesus. I believe that he'll rescue me. And then I see my sin. And I turn to Jesus. And I believe that he'll rescue me. And I do that over and over. And that is, that's the slow plod of the Christian life. So brother and sister, don't, don't be overly discouraged when you feel like you're running in circles. You want your general path to be forward. But this is a slow plod. And we want victory over sin. And this is how we're going to see, even this morning, what are the ways that we keep moving forward to knowing Jesus. And one of the things that we have to remember is that we have not arrived. When the race finishes when we die. That's when the race finishes. Or, or when the Lord comes back for us. But the race is finished when I see Jesus face to face. I don't stop in the, minta- in, the, in the middle of that. I don't say, no, I think I've grown enough. It's sufficient. <laughs> I don't think I can grow anymore. I don't think I can know Jesus anymore. We press on because the race isn't finished until I see him face to face. And what Paul is warning here, he's warning about perfectionism. He's warning that, you know, that like you're not going to arrive. And he says, he says very clearly that he has not arrived. He has not arrived yet. He wants to know Jesus so much. That was that, that, that verse 10 there of, of, of chapter 3. It's kind of what we, what we read, we sang about. All I once held dear. He wants to know Him, knowing Jesus. But He hasn't arrived yet. He's not there yet. You may want victory over a sin, but be careful that you don't want victory over the sin just so you stop feeling guilty. Because that can make, actually, your desire to be victorious an idol. You, wanna, you want less guilt rather than knowing Jesus more. The goal, look at verse 14. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Perfectionism is not the goal. Knowing Jesus is the goal. Knowing Jesus is the goal. That was the goal for Paul. That should be our goal. We want to know Him and be known by Him. Now the reason I can press forward, the reason that I don't have to think about being perfect because I I won't be on this side of heaven, the reason that I can do that, look at verse 12. I love love verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. That's a beautiful statement. Christ Jesus has made me His own. It, it, it makes me think of the, 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 the account of the prodigal son 
the lost sons. There's actually two sons that are both lost, but the one that goes far away and he squanders his wealth and he kind of hates his father and he, he, he takes his inheritance before his father's dead and he goes and he, he squanders it. And then he comes to his senses, the scripture says, and, he, and he's coming back to, to his father because he's like, at least I can have food with my father. Even if he treats me as a servant, he'll treat me well. And then what does the father do? He runs towards the son. He runs towards him. As shameful as that would be in his culture to, to, to lift up his garments and show his legs and go running after his son. He doesn't care. And, and that's kind of the picture I see here. Jesus has made me his own. He's run after me. And that's what Paul's saying. That's my motivator. That's an incredible motivator. Knowing what I'm really like and knowing what you're really like. Think about what you're really like. And you know your heart. You don't even know it fully though. But you know your broken heart, your messy heart, your sinful heart, the places where you struggle, you feel like you'll never be able to have victory in. Jesus knows it even better and He's still running after you. He's still running after you. He wants you. Before coming to faith, before coming to faith, we have no energy to even move forward at all. I can't move forward in knowing Jesus. I have no motivation to do that. Paul says to the Ephesians that we're dead in our trespasses, trespasses and sins. Dead people don't move. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, but God makes us alive. He runs after me. Jesus runs after me. He comes to you. He sees you. He sees you in this race before you can even run and He breathes life into you by saving you from your sins and then He gives you His Spirit so that you can actually move forward in faith. Like, it's actually possible then because you've been made alive. And so this is a huge motivator. When you think about pressing on to know Jesus, know that He's the one that's given you life to even move forward towards Him. Another thing that Paul says we need to remember, still same, same point, we, we need to remember that we haven't arrived. But one of the ways that we are, it's helpful to remember that we haven't arrived yet, is that we forget what's behind us. We forget what is behind us. Look at verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Paul's not really talking about your broken past here. That's not what he means when he says forgetting what's behind. It's not, it's not thinking about like, oh, I, I used to live like this, I used to live like this. That's not what he means about forgetting what's behind. What he means when he says forgetting what's behind is any of the accomplishments you've done for the Lord, any of the good victories you've had, any of the, of the positive things, I don't depend on those things as if that's somehow I'm done. I forget that and I just keep moving forward. I just keep moving forward. You, you don't, you don't say, <laughs> you don't say if you're running, if you're, if you're running like a 1600, that's four, four laps around the track. You don't look at the lap you just ran and say, did you see that split time of mine? That split time was great. That third lap was great. 
but then you don't finish. Like, who cares if your third lap was great if you don't finish the race? Who cares about that? Forget about, forget about what that was. You need to finish. It'd be great if you had a third, you know, lap that was, you know, record time. But if you stop, it's not going to help you finish the race. And so Paul said, forget about what lies behind. Because our very breath and strength and existence is held together by Jesus. So we can't claim any of the victories as our own anyways. They're all the Lord's. A swimmer doesn't stop at three lengths of the pool when the race is four. A soccer player doesn't stop at 50 minutes in and says, Okay, well done, lads. That was a great match. Because you got 10 more minutes to play. The jockey doesn't pull the reins up, you know, and stop his horse because he had a great backstretch when he hasn't even finished the home stretch. You can't depend on those things in the past that you've done well because there's a goal, there's a finish line, there's a prize awaiting for them. And it isn't behind them, it's in front of them. That's why I never wanted my runners to look behind them. Forget what's behind you. Forget who's chasing you. Forget who's watching you. Focus on the goal. And what Paul wants us to remember is... Yes, it's wonderful living for Jesus and, 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 and having, you know, accolades or, or, or being able to say, like, I've done service and I've sacrificed and all those things. That's, that's wonderful. But that we haven't arrived yet. You're not done. You're not finished. And so keep going. Keep going. Believer, do you know what awaits you at the end of this race? This really hard, lonely ugly race because it can feel that way sometimes the christian race it can feel lonely and hard and frustrating do you know what's waiting for you peace yes peace is waiting for you joy joy is waiting for you salvation yes amen freedom from your sin is waiting for you but there's a person waiting for you and his name is jesus There's a person waiting for you. And he is your biggest cheerleader. He's your biggest fan. He's your best coach. And he wants to be with you so much that he's run this race before you and he did it perfectly. And so we don't depend on all the things we've done or all the things we're going to do. We depend on what he has done and all the things that he has done for us. And that motivates me just to keep pressing on. And when I run in my circles, but I get back in the direction that I need to be going, I can praise God and I press on. When I stumble and fall and I need someone to pick me up, I can praise God and I can press on. Because I don't have to run this race perfect, but I do want to run this race in a way that helps me to know Jesus more. And one of the ways is by remembering that I have not arrived yet. And you know what real maturity is? Maturity is not perfection. So... If your goal and you think that Christian maturity, if I think Christian maturity is that I need to be perfect, that is not maturity. Because Paul's clearly saying, I'm not perfect. And look what he says in verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Being mature is knowing that you're not perfect and acting like it. Knowing I'm not perfect, knowing I haven't arrived, that's Christian maturity. I haven't arrived. I need Jesus today as much as I did yesterday, and I'm going to need Jesus tomorrow as much as I do today. And I move forward with an 
ever-increasing dependence on the Lord Jesus. So if we want to know Jesus more, we remember that we haven't arrived yet. Secondly, second point, verse 17 to 19 here. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. How do you press on to know Jesus? How do you run this race well? You imitate others who are running with you or have run before you. Paul gives us this obvious example in himself in verse 17, join in imitating me. Now, this isn't an arrogant statement because he's already said he's not perfect. He's already said, I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived yet. So he's not being haughty here. It's the reality. It's not egotism. It's wisdom. He's not perfect. So what do we imitate him in? Well, we imitate him in his love for Jesus and his love for others and his love for the scriptures. We can imitate Paul in those things. And then he, he, but he also says other people, not just himself. Look at the second half of 17. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have set in us. Those. You know what good athletes do? They watch films of other athletes. They watch their competitors. So they know how to compete against them. Uh, and they watch those that are the best of the best. And you imitate that. Because there are specific ways that you do well in every sport. There's specific skills that you need. So good athletes watch other people. You know, I have no problem comparing myself to someone else. (laughs) I'm really good at that. That's not the same as imitating somebody else. Comparing yourself to others is not the same as imitating others. Because comparing usually, always, I could say probably always, leads me either towards pride or despair. When I compare myself to to another believer who's running this race, and I look at them, and I say, oh look, I'm doing a much better job than they are in this race. I'm going so much faster than they are. That just leads me towards pride. Or I compare myself to someone and I say, they just love Jesus so much more. They seem like they're leading their family so much better. That just leads me towards despair. And thinking I'm just falling behind and I'm never going to catch up. And so Paul's not saying compare yourself to others. Comparing ourselves to others is almost always going to prevent us becoming Christ-like. It's going to move us towards legalism and licentiousness is really what it's going to do. It takes humility to look at another believer's life and recognize what Christ is doing in that person's life and then say, I want to do that too. That takes humility. Because I look, I, I'm not comparing. I don't have to think that I'm better or worse. I don't have to think that, oh, I'm never going to arrive so I might as well just give up and live like I want. No, I say, look what Christ is doing. I want to do that too. That takes humility. Paul warns here on licentiousness. Licentiousness is that idea of license, of just feeling like I can do whatever I want. Because if we're not careful, when we compare ourselves to others, it can lead us towards that. 
It can lead us towards legalism or it can lead us towards licentiousness. He, he warned about legalism in the beginning of chapter 3 because he, he talked about all these Judaizers who were saying we need to be circumcised. They're mutilating the flesh and like you have to live that way and you have to keep the law. That's legalism. I need to tick the box. Here he gives us a warning about licentiousness. Look at verses 18 and 19. Eighteen says, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. He's not talking about pagans here. He would expect pagans to live that way, people that just were outside the church. I mean, that, that, he's not, that's not who he's talking about. These are people who are claiming to be Christians. But he actually calls them enemies of the cross of Christ, which is pretty humbling. Their minds are set on earthly things, which lead them to destruction. He says their end is destruction. He's saying, look, make a choice here. Either you press on towards Jesus to know him more, or you might end up then just setting your mind on earthly things. One is an upward call, he says. And one leads to destruction. And he says, I know, he's saying, I know many. There's many that say they know Jesus, but you look at their life and they're doing whatever they please. And they're not really pressing on to knowing him, which means they don't really know him at all. Because if their end is destruction, then they were never his to begin with. So he's warning us about licentiousness. There's always a believer you can imitate. Always. We never outgrow this. No matter how old you get in life, there will always be someone you can imitate because it doesn't have to be someone that's older than you. Christ-likeness is everywhere in the church and that's why the church is beautiful we're messy and beautiful at the same time. It's one of the paradoxes of the, of the Christian life, this, this race, is that we, we are messy people, and yet the Lord is doing something in us in the same time, at the same time. There, there are some who faithfully set up this sound equipment and these chairs and this, and this, this bread and cup every week. One of them is even very pregnant. Imitate their service! Imitate their service! That's something that we can imitate, the service. Or, or these moms that we have with us of these little babies. Imitate their service or their faithfulness to be here. Sometimes they don't even get to hear the sermon because they're off with their little ones and yet they're here. We can imitate that faithfulness to be here. Those who take the time to teach our children when they have such busy lives themselves, imitate them. Imitate their sacrifice. Those of you who are prayer warriors, thank you. We might not even know it, but I can tell you that they exist in this church. We can imitate them as prayer warriors. And those of you who are young, those of you who are young or young in the faith, you have passion and energy and joy and childlike faith. You can imitate them. Do you know who I want to be like some, who I want to be like sometimes? It's Callahan. 
Galahad is always pointing me to Jesus. He's always reminding me that, well, G- well Jesus is with us. Or he tells like, Daddy, Daddy, God is bigger than that. That's, that's, not, that's not naivety. That's childlike faith. I need that. I need more of that. So there's always someone you can imitate. And Paul is telling us to do that. If you want to know Jesus more, imitate those who also want to know Jesus more. My last point is verse 20 and 21 here. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables even him even to subject all things to himself. Remember your citizenship. Remember where you're a citizen. If you want to press on to know Jesus, remember where your home really is. Uh, this is a keen reminder to us because we're not citizens of this country. We have applications in for citizenship of this country, but we are currently not. And with citizenship comes certain freedoms. One of those freedoms is you can stay in the country of your citizenship for however long you want. You can be free to earn money and have a job. You can be free to take advantage of what the state offers in serving their people. These are all benefits of being a citizen. We need to remember that this world is not our home. So I'm not an American first and then a Christian, and you are not an Irish first and then a Christian, or a Brazilian first and then a Christian, or we can go on, there's multiple nationalities here. We're Christians who happen to be living in this country wherever that country is that you might have your citizenship. And that should be our mindset, is that we are citizens of heaven. And because of that, you have every right of a citizen of heaven. One of those rights is that you are free to be loved. To be loved. Hear me right. You are free to be loved. You do not have to earn God's love as a citizen of heaven. Did you know that? Because you can't earn God's love. He loves you because he loves you. And that is a right of a citizen of heaven. Isn't that a motivator to know Jesus more? That I am just free to receive the love of God? Why wouldn't I want to know him more? He just loves me because he loves me. Another right of a citizen of heaven is that you have the right and the freedom to love. So you are free to be loved and you are free to love. Galatians 5 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The reason why you're free to love is because you don't need anyone's approval. You don't need the approval of anyone in this room. You don't need them to like you. So you can love people really well when you don't need their approval. Because you don't need anything from them. The problem that I have when I try to love people is when I think I need something from them. I'm not going to love them well. And that's the beauty of being a citizen of heaven is that you can love people really well because you don't need anything from them. 
You don't need anything from them. You can actually love unbiasedly and unconditionally. I'm not saying it's easy. It takes lots of time. But that is one of the things that a citizen, a citizen of heaven can do. And that's beautiful. Citizens of heaven also await their Savior. Verse 20. We await a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. It's another reminder, by the way, that we're not perfect. Because if we're awaiting a Savior, we need to be rescued from something. Um, so I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived. I need a Savior. And who is that Savior? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And that keeps us from the wrong goals of legalism and perfectionism and licentiousness. If I remember that I have a Savior waiting for me, I'm not worried about keeping the rules if I understand who that Savior is. And I don't think that I can just be breaking the rules either all the time if I recognize who that Savior is. And I also recognize that I'm never going to be perfect. So those goals fade away when I recognize there is actually a person. It's the Lord Jesus, and He's coming for me, and I await Him. You know when, this is true for anyone, any age, whether you're a kid in your room doing something you shouldn't be doing, or you're working at your desk, you know, at your office, and you have something, you're playing the game on the computer or whatever, you know, what, what, you, you are ready for someone to open the door, or come around the cubicle. <laughs> However it is, you're going to put the thing away or you're going to change your screen or whatever. <laughs> when you're waiting for someone to come to you because you kind of are doing something that you shouldn't be doing, it's a motivator to do the right thing. One of the motivators we have on pressing towards knowing Jesus is that he is coming. And I'm sure, believer, you're like me. You want to be found faithful in that moment. I want to be found faithful in that moment. Whether it's when I get hit by a bus and I die and I see him face to face or when he comes for me in glory and takes me to be with him. I want to be found faithful in the moment. And so we await a savior. It's a motivator for pressing on. And he's going to transform you in that day. Another reminder that you're not perfect. You need to be transformed and so do I. My heart needs to be transformed. My body needs to be transformed. And He is coming and He will transform you because He has infinite power to do that. And that is a reminder to press on. Because one day, one day, you will be perfect. Isn't that amazing? That wrecks my head. Because I am so far from that right now. And yet I have a Savior who's going to transform me into perfection. I don't have framework for that. I don't know where that... I can't even understand how that fits because of my messy heart. But that's what the Bible tells me. And finally, Paul, it's nice when he gives this clear application for you. you always, sometimes you have to kind of find the application. But it's a real clear application in the beginning of chapter 4. He says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Knowing that you're not perfect and you're going to stumble and you're going to fall, knowing that you are to imitate other people, knowing that your citizenship is in heaven, knowing that your leaders love you and are for you, like he says, my brothers whom I love and long for my joy and crown, knowing all these things, what do I do? I stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm, unmovable, unshakable, steady, rooted, grounded. And I'm not standing in my greatness. I'm standing in the greatness of Jesus. 
because he can hold me fast. And so, brothers and sisters, press on in knowing Jesus. Press on knowing that you have not arrived yet. Remembering that you have not arrived, that you always should be moving forward. Press on by imitating others around you that are stumbling just like you. (laughs) But you see something in them that's Christ-like and you can imitate that. And then press on by remembering where your citizenship lies. This is not your home. But we will be home together one day in the presence of the Lord. And so press on in knowing Jesus. And as verse 10 said, knowing him in the power of resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Because he's worth it. He's worth knowing. He's worth knowing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it just reminds us of all the ways that you have equipped us to press on in knowing Jesus more. We just need your help. Father, because we stumble and fall, may we be a church that encourages one another and lifts each other's up and bears each other's burdens. And may we be a church that is happy to imitate each other when we see Christ's likeness, Father. Thank you that you do not leave us to to uh, stumble and fall through this life without help. Because you give infinite help. And we rejoice in that. In Jesus' name, amen.